podcast from Green Curtain Theatre. Many young men of twenty said goodbye on that long day from break of dawn until the sun was high. Many young men of twenty said goodbye. Many young men of twenty said goodbye. I'm Liz Newbery, and I've been talking with Anne O'Donoghue, one of the entrants to Green Curtain Theatre's open writing competition in 2018 on the theme of leaving. I invited Anne to tell me about how her dramatic monologue, Voices in the Air, had come to be written. I attended a series of workshops run by Anne Curtis and had to sort of search around and dig around for what what I knew in my own kind of family and history around immigration, mm-hmm. as I'm, I'm second-generation Irish. Um, Tell me, were you a complete beginner to writing? That's what I would describe myself as, really. I'd done a few workshops, just written within the workshop, so this was really the first piece I think that I'd written. I thought, well, just give it a go. Yeah, it's just a bit of fun, really. And no experience, therefore, in writing for performance? No. No, that was a bit of an eye-opener. <laughs> um, I suppose, as I said, I, I dug a little bit into my own roots. And they were, they were one or two people, really, I think in particular, I thought about. One was my great-uncle Patrick, who had disappeared. Really? Yeah, nobody really knew. But my dad kept asking, see if you can find what happened to my great-uncle Patrick. Mm-hmm. So he was one side of the story. The other was great-grandfather or a great-great-grandfather on my father's side. Nobody knew what happened to him. And the story that that went around about him is that that, he had a wife and children and he just upped and left. And he was never heard of again. And there was various kind of stories. that There was a girl in the village that disappeared at the time. Um, There was a man in the village that disappeared at that time. But, of course, nobody really ever found out what happened to him. And I ended up doing quite a lot of research around these kind of missing people, one of whom I actually found. Did you? Yeah. And that actually ended in us having a great reunion with some American relatives who would be my third cousins, I guess who we connected up with in the end, the power of the internet, really. So there was this, eventually there was one, a great big reunion which took place in Ireland. And uh, it was really a meeting of the clans because people came from all different parts of Ireland to meet the Americans. Mm-hmm. So we kept calling them the Yanks. And it was a marvellous night. There was lots of dancing and singing. Which part of the country is this taking place in? This is Southern Ireland, so County Waterford. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because what did happen to your great-uncle wasn't quite the story we thought it was going to be. Well, did it shed some new light? Yeah, it was a bit of a sad tale in the end, I think, suffice to say. And of course then, then there was the mystery of the other man. Actually, we never resolved. And it's still a mystery to this day. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I just had, a, I think, a stroke of luck on great-uncle Patrick that all, you know, ended up with this, as I say, the great reunion. That's where, really, the story starts. It's this woman sitting at the airport, and she's on her way to a reunion. Very interesting. Yeah. So the two, the two, the two threads of research came together in, in the writing? That's it, yeah. 
And then I understand you were able to come and see the performance hmm. um, mm -hmm. that Green Curtain Theatre put on. What was it like to, to watch your work? I think now looking back in hindsight, perhaps I should have changed the names of my aunts. <laughs> but yes, it was fantastic because I actually I think it really brought it alive and, and um you're a little bit anxious when you go to see something like that because you've kind of written something and you write it in isolation and then it's suddenly brought to life, isn't it? And people are watching it mm. and you, you're kind of thinking, well, do other people find this amusing or in the way that I'm amused? It was interesting. It was very interesting. I did make me really, really think about how you write for performance. Were you able to tune into how the audience was responding? Yeah, attentiveness. You see, interestingly, they laughed at bits that I didn't really know that they were going to laugh at. You know, okay. you're kind of thinking, oh. And I don't know, because we, I don't know if people were just being quite kind at the end, because people said, that was really good, we really enjoyed that. So I thought, oh, well, it was okay, it was a first attempt. Oh, well, <laughs> a jolly good first attempt. Has it inspired you to write more? Yes, yes, I think so. But I think also I need probably somebody to discipline me and sit me down and say yes have a go at it and set a deadline I think that really helps mm -hmm. you can have ideas but you need to put you know sit down and write them down and, and also things just didn't flow out because then you know you go away and think about it and think oh I could add that and I could draw upon that so it sounds as though the, the, the structure of the competition offered you the gentle shove you needed. Mm. And I think encouragement from Anne, really. I mean, I think she was very, very encouraging. Yes, I think it, I, I'd like to try again. And then for it to reach an audience yeah. within, within a reasonable time frame oh. of writing. Yes. And the title of the piece you wrote was Voices. Voices, Voices in the Air. In the Air. Well, very apt. <laughs> we send it out over the airwaves. I'd say there's a history of storytelling in any Irish family. Mm -hmm. And I'm certain I've, got, I've got a cousin in Ireland who does the traditional Irish storytelling. And that's kind of been handed down, really. Did you find that that was something that came out in your, your big family gathering? Were there opportunities to share new stories and old? Yes, but how many of them were true, I wonder? <laughs> Does it matter? <laughs> no, exactly. In, in some ways, I think what I was trying to create in in my story was that kind of thing about what was true and what wasn't. Because it was the love of telling stories. Mm -hmm. But you're not even sure if the person who's narrating the story to you, is that true, what they're telling you? Mm -hmm. that, that was, that's what I think I was trying to deliver. Okay. I, don't know if, I don't know if that came across or not. Leaving it as a... a it's quite like open. Yes. And that's what I was trying to create, yeah. was a little bit of openness there, because I, I wanted the audience to be unclear, without trying to tell you too much of the story mm -hmm. at this stage. <laughs> it's interesting to hear that your American relations were able to come and join this gathering, because I know you, you've selected a piece of music which refers to the Irish and mm. their descendants in America. Yeah, it's a piece by Christy Moore and it's called The City of Chicago. The last verse of it is, Some of them knew fortune and some of them knew fame, more of them knew hardship and died. And of course most of them are dreaming of being back in Ireland. And that's what the song's about. Indeed. Well, thank you very much indeed. Congratulations on your first piece of writing for the stage. <laughs>
<laughs> may there be many more. Oh, thank you. Yes. you continue to write and to yes. enjoy it. Oh, well, thank you for coming and, to talk uh, to me today. Mm-hmm. Very great pleasure and thank you for your time. This is a security, security announcement. announcement. Please do, do not leave any baggages and personal effects unattended. Unattended items may be seized and destroyed. Some people hear voices because they are ill. Not me. I do hear them though. Not all the time. Sometimes worse than others. Some louder than others. Got worse after my dad passed on. My shrink told me that it was a way of dealing with stress. People who have lost someone close often can hear or sense them. She says that they can bring great comfort, but I used to find it very irritating until I realised that these voices had come to tell me what really happened in our family and I'm on my way to the reunion to tell them. I have to be careful who I say that to. Don't want them thinking I'm unstable before I board the plane. They can be quite strict nowadays. Where are my bifocals? Can barely see the departure board from here. Boarding time 11.52 for flight number 725843 to Cork. It began with the search for my great-grandfather. A man who left his wife and three children went to work in the field one morning and never returned. Didn't everyone have a theory? Wasn't in 1912 and didn't Auntie Josie go off on a grand one telling everyone that he went down on the Titanic? And him without a sleeve to wipe his nose on? No. He went off with the girlie in the village. And of course, she was in the family way. Girly. Auntie Josie called all young women girly. That's when she wasn't calling them lads. Auntie Dahlia had other ideas. Said that the same girl had turned up in a mother and baby home in England. The poor baby was given up and the girl went into a mental asylum. So she said... No idea, of course, how she would have got over to England or why they would have wanted to put her in a mental asylum. Of course, Dahlia knew. She knew Patrick was a devil and that his wife was better off without him. Dahlia was certain he had taken off to England and two years later joined the British Army and died in the trenches. One of those unknown soldiers that no one can trace. Strange, that. Size of those trenches, you'd think that if you found someone in one... He'd know who it was. Unless, of course, he fell into one of those German trenches and he couldn't understand them when they asked him his name. I do wonder about Dahlia's version of events, though. After all, it was her that had the moving statue of Our Lady in her sitting room. The one she claimed winked one minute, twitched the next and cried when the room got too cold, forcing Aunt Dahlia to have a collection to buy some more turf for the fire. And there's Dahlia in all her finery providing tea and cakes to anyone who didn't fancy the trip up to the grotto on a wet night. To be honest, I think she might have been seeing things. Mind you, that's what they say about me and the voices. Hearing, not seeing, that is. That's the trouble when people know you hear voices. They think that they can palm you off with any old nonsense. Now... I'll do my best to put the pieces together for you of what I found out and I'm not revealing my sources publicly so you'll have to take my word for a lot of this. Oh, Dahlia was half right. Not only did Patrick abandon one family, he did the same again. Bigamy was easy, you see. First time he must have thought, I'm a continent apart and who would find out? Second time round, 
He didn't even move to another state. He just upped sticks and found another wife. That's nerve. Shrink said he might have been a sociopath. Good at fooling people. A charmer. Never felt any guilt. All the lies he told. It's no wonder he hit the bottle with all the demons. Never mind all the wives he had. People sound forgiven now, you know. Oh, what a character and a bit of a boy. Some get up and go on him. That sort of thing. How did he die? Died on a cold December night in 1932. Died down an alleyway of hypothermia. Bottle of whiskey in his hand. Trousers round his feet. And no one is quite sure how he got there, but I have my suspicions. I'll say no more now. Well, I have to board now. I can tell you more when I get to the hooli. You see, no one would believe me if I told them how I finally found Patrick. They'd think I made it all up. Was that Patrick? No, I have never been near the Blarney Stone. <laughs> what do you mean? It takes one to know one. Will passengers for Aer Lingus flight E1715 to Cork please make their way to gate 12 for boarding? We end this podcast by listening to a recording of Anne's favourite Irish song, The City of Chicago. In the city of Chicago And the evening shadows fall There are people dreaming Of the hills of Johnny As the evening shadows fall There are people dreaming Of the hills of Johnny As the evening shadows fall There are people dreaming Of the hills of Johnny Shadows fall There are people 
This has been a Green Curtain Theatre podcast, recorded in March 2019. Visit our website www.irishinlondontheatre.co.uk where you can also subscribe to the podcast service to be informed about new episodes as they are released.